Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. This previously recorded episode of Back from the Borderline may contain mentions of social links or initiatives I took part in that are no longer active or relevant. To follow the podcast on Instagram, connect with me directly, or support the work I'm doing, visit backfromtheborderline.com. You have entered Back from the Borderline, where we walk willingly into the darkness within our minds and return home to ourselves transformed. I'm your host, Molly. I spent most of my life numbing the pain and emptiness inside me, unaware that my self-sabotaging behaviors and thoughts were destroying my ability to connect with myself and other people. One day, I decided I was sick enough of my own bullshit to hear life calling, telling me it was time for a change, and I decided to answer that call. On this podcast, we'll learn that when we see ourselves as the hero of our own journey, it gives us the best chance at finding our inner truth and integrity. Together, We'll learn to hold complex feelings, expand our consciousness and self-awareness while making meaning of our suffering. Are you ready to find out who you are underneath the weight of everything that's been keeping you stuck? If the answer is yes, follow me down the rabbit hole of psychological and spiritual growth. I'm so glad you're here. And with that, let's dive straight in to the episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the third and final installment of my series on splitting. Up until this point, we have talked all things splitting. We have talked about what it means. We've talked about the history, about some psychological theories, about how other people feel experiencing splitting, how I have felt in my experience the importance of integration. And today we're going to be talking about more practical elements. When does splitting become a problem? How long does splitting last? What can trigger a splitting episode? How does splitting affect relationships? How it can affect therapy and medical treatment of borderline personality disorder how to reduce splitting behaviors. And lastly, we're going to talk about what the best way for our loved ones to help someone with BPD who is experiencing splitting. So if you're just hopping into this episode and it's the first one you're listening to, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to the first two episodes of this series on splitting because this is all being positioned to you in order for a reason. To recap, splitting is often considered a hallmark of borderline personality disorder, and it's characterized by the propensity to either completely idealize or completely devalue other people, places, ideas, or objects. In other words, to see them as all good or all bad. 
And splitting causes us to view life, ourselves, and others in extremes. Black and white thinking, no gray areas. So when does splitting become a problem? When does it start really negatively affecting our lives? In society today, most people have experienced splitting. Just look at the current political climate or jump on Twitter for less than 30 seconds and you will be seeing splits galore from people that probably consider themselves to be neurotypical. So when does it become an issue? Well, when it has consistent and persistent negative effects on our lives. If you're anything like me, you get it. You understand that life isn't black and white. People can be good and bad. But when you're dysregulated, all that stuff goes out the window. It's impossible to see things from a neutral perspective. And when someone is trying to calm you down or explain to you that you're in a splitting state, yeah, fuck that. There's no reasoning with us when we're emotionally dysregulated. It's just like a light is switched. I call that when when my BPD takes over, I make a joke out of it and I make I make light of my BPD, okay? But I refer to it with my partner was as as like my dark passenger. <laughs> when I am in an episode or when I'm dysregulated and the the train is too far away from the station, there is no bringing me back. <laughs> it's tough. So we can hold, we know logic in our minds, but when we're dysregulated, all bets are off. And this now makes a lot more sense if you've listened to the previous two episodes, because what is happening in those moments is we revert back to our two-year-old self, our younger self, our inner child. And we are in that stage where Mommy is good or bad, right? Things, everything is either good or bad. You're either for us or against us. And we are all bad in those moments too. So we lose our entire grounding is just gone. It feels like the rug has been pulled out from underneath us and we are incapable of seeing things logically because we've not moved from stage two in Otto Kernberg's uh, phases that we were describing in the last episode, right? We are stuck in the phase that we think things are all good or all bad. And we've not moved on to the phase where we can say, okay, so-and-so has done something that, that hurt me, but that doesn't mean that I'm unlovable. It doesn't mean that they don't love me. It doesn't mean that they're all bad. It's just a thing that happened. So we continuously put people on pedestals and as soon as they do one thing wrong, they're the worst person in the world. We have a bad day at work and spend the night searching job postings, convinced that we need to quit right now. We make an honest mistake and then we convince ourselves that we are a shitty person at our very core. <laughs> for me, going through life feeling this way for so long without any knowledge of my disorder or the concept of splitting, I just started to believe that that's just who I was. And I felt like I had no control over these big emotions, over these big swings, these splits. But becoming aware made me see my splitting and my BPD as something separate from the core of who I was. My splitting did not determine my inherent worth. And that brought so much relief. 
remember that you are not your splitting. It is a defense mechanism that you can begin to break if you focus on your awareness. So when does splitting become a problem? As soon as it's affecting your life on a consistent basis, it's preventing you from taking a neutral stance in various aspects of your life. The next thing that I want us to go over is a question that comes up a lot. How long does splitting last? (laughs) There is a no one clear answer to this. Splitting is cyclical and it's sudden and it varies from person to person. Depending on what we're splitting about, an episode could last for minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, and even years. Think about it like this. You call your friend, the phone rings once, and then it goes straight to voicemail. Immediately, you're fuming because you were ignored. You know that they like ignored the call. When it rings, I mean, we all know, the phone rings and you hear it and then it goes to voicemail. And so immediately in that situation, the thought spiral begins. You are thinking, my friend hates me, et cetera, et cetera. 30 minutes later, they call you back and apologize. They were on the other line. And then all of a sudden, all those negative feelings for the friend and that they hate you and that you have no friends, poof, those feelings are gone and you're emotionally regulated again. They don't hate you after all. Everything's good and you can regulate. And splitting moments like this can begin and end within a few minutes as long as we get that validation we need from outside ourselves to come back to equilibrium. But while we're spinning out and splitting, notice that like we need our friend to do something to validate us. We need to know that they don't hate us. And until then, we are going to be freaking the fuck out. That's not good. (laughs) The key here is this. The fact that you need to hear from your friend before you can regulate, that's the problem. When we place all the onus on the other person to regulate us, we feel helpless and out of control in our own existence. It is such a scary feeling. And if you don't have BPD, you just cannot understand. In those moments, we have no grounding. And that is empty, terrifying, lonely, isolating. So, so scary. So not only can splitting last moments, it can last years. I think back on certain relationships in my life that have ended usually in super fast, explosive, and very final ways. This could be friendships, romantic relationships, jobs. People that like peacefully end things or like come to a common understanding and walk away, that concept is actually quite foreign to people with BPD. Stuff is either amazing and everything's gelling or it's like it's not working and it's fucking over. Until I began the journey of recovery, these previous romantic partners, these friends, these things that exploded and ended, those became the villains of my life story, right? Cheaters, liars, bad friends, abusers. And while many times these narratives were somewhat true, these people had in fact done horrible things to me, I neglected entirely to see the hand I had in the dysfunction 
and how much longer I tended to stay in bad situations because of my splitting. I stayed and I made excuses for bad behavior. I hated this partner one minute and would go and talk to my friend about it and say, I'm done, I'm done. And then the next minute, I love them passionately and I'm splitting them white. And my friends, the people that you're talking to are like, I'm not even going to bother giving you advice anymore. (laughs) Right. And then that sometimes leads to us cutting ourselves off from our friends and family who may give us good, solid advice because they are so tired of being drugged through these ups and downs and we're not listening to their advice. So it creates this really isolating feeling, feeling like you kind of have to suffer these ups and downs on your own because you don't trust yourself anymore. So when my relationship was going well, I felt great about myself. When my relationship was falling apart, so was I. And so was my entire identity. I felt like I was falling through a hole in the earth. There was zero separation between my relationships, my jobs, my passions, and who I was as a person. I was my relationships. So you can see that splitting can be a momentary thing. You know, someone does something to you or you're getting ignored and you freak out for three hours and they get back to you and you're regulated again. The splitting episode's over. But sometimes splitting is a years long story and narrative that you're telling yourself. And then when you finally pursue recovery, you start taking these pieces apart. You can kind of start seeing where you added to the problem, right? And how it became bigger and bigger because of actions that you took and your inability to prioritize your higher self over the relationship. You lost yourself in things. You tried to validate yourself through other people and relationships. That stuff doesn't work. So what triggers a splitting episode? If we're wanting to reduce the impact that splitting has on our lives, it's important that we're aware of things that can trigger us into splitting. It helps if we're mindful of anything that may cause us to take an extreme emotional viewpoint on anything. With BPD, especially in the early stages of recovery, it's more important than anything to remain constantly mindful of our emotions. Now, this is also important. It can't be an obsessive or judgmental awareness of our emotions. If you're going to work on splitting, and you say, okay, I'm going to become more aware of my emotions, and you take this obsessive, harsh, self-flagellating, punishing view, and I say this because I did this, where I'm like, okay, I'm going to be more mindful of my emotions. And so as soon as an emotion came up or I started feeling abandoned, I almost start shaming myself for that feeling. Okay, you're feeling like this. Don't do that. Don't do that. No. (laughs) No. It's really important to know the difference between being mindful and aware and obsessive and judging. Because if you're going to be obsessive and judging, it's going to make things worse. Just be a casual, calm observer of your feelings. Often, triggering events for splitting will involve minor separations that we feel spark that deep-seated fear of abandonment, right? These are minor moments of perceived abandonment. 
like we talked about before, your friend not answering you, your favorite person going on a trip, um, having an email ignored. So these little things are minor separations, minor perceived moments of abandonment. So think about a time recently when you split. Really, try to bring it up in your mind right now. If you're like me, you have plenty of examples, probably even from the last day or so. You can also probably pinpoint a specific moment where an emotional switch just flips. And in that moment, you are no longer your adult self. You are now your traumatized child or teenage self. You can feel it too. You can feel that you lose control. And it's like seeing your rational adult self step into a cage and you watch as those old parts of you that you can't control just take over. That's why I call it my dark passenger, right? You're no longer acting like yourself, your highest self, yourself who believes in integrity, in integration. We begin to act like a child who has not gotten their way. And in that moment, there's no in-between. In that moment, nothing is neutral. Everything's bad. Everything hurts. We've all been there. So if we can really become hyper-aware of our emotional state and notice when something feels off, your heart clenches, your, your anxiety starts to go, you start feeling like this person doesn't love me, this person um, is abandoning me, stop. Give yourself pause. Realize in that moment that regardless of what happens, even if your friend is ignoring you, even if someone is not responding to your email deliberately, whatever is going on, that person is living their life, going through their own daily struggles, and is a high likelihood that whatever's going on with them has very little to do with you. And even if it does have something to do with you, they could be having their own moment of dysregulation. Allow them to have that. Stand strong in your own feelings and know in that moment, no matter what they're going through, that doesn't take away from my own innate worth. Okay, I'm off my soapbox, I swear. <laughs> so the next thing that I wanna cover is how does splitting affect relationships? That's another question I see pop up all the time on Google, on Reddit, so by now we're clear on how splitting affects those of us with BPD, but how about the impact it has on our relationships? How does splitting affect those who love someone with BPD and they're trying to help them? It is no coincidence that people with BPD often report having intense and unstable relationships. That's been the trend for me. It's probably the trend for you. And often this can be due to splitting behaviors. It's a direct consequence. Someone is our friend one day and may be perceived as our enemy the next. Splitting makes it really difficult for us to lean in and trust other people. It makes it difficult for us to develop and feel true emotional vulnerability and deep connection. This is really painful for us as people with BPD because all we want in the world is to feel wanted and connected, but our own behaviors and tendencies and things like splitting prevent that very 
feel that very desire, that very feeling to be connected. That is what part of the reason that BPD is so painful. Splitting also creates a certain paranoia, which leads us to irrationally fear the intentions of other people. And that's why borderline personality disorder has its name, right? We're on the borderline of almost like paranoid schizophrenia type vibes. That's the least intellectual way of of putting that, but look into it and you'll understand because BPD, we have a lot of paranoia. These splitting, it's not allowing us to see reality, right? We need to see it that way. You are not seeing reality when you're splitting. Nothing is all good or all bad. Nothing. Nothing is. There are shades of gray to everything. And when we split, we tend to want to entirely cut off communication with someone we may think will end up abandoning us because we just want to make sure that it's us that's cutting it off. We want control of that cutoff. And our feelings can so rapidly change about a person from that intense closeness and love, which the DSM describes as idealization, to intense dislike or anger, which is devaluation. This can be super confusing, frustrating, and scary and draining, not only for us, but for the people who genuinely love us. Splitting can cause us to lose or push away things that are really actually good for us, and we make excuses to ourselves that they're not. And splitting also leaves us vulnerable to be taken advantage of by people with terrible intentions and can end us up in dangerous or abusive situations and relationships. That has absolutely been true for me. My splitting has both ruined relationships with good people, good opportunities, good jobs, and it has also gotten me into really scary situations with really, really scary people. Put simply, splitting leaves us with a distorted picture of reality. Do not forget that. It restricts our range of thoughts and emotions so much. I refuse personally to be constrained by this way of thinking anymore. As soon as I learned about this, I'm like, no, I will see reality. I won't let this go on any longer. I long so much to experience my full range of intellect and emotion, not just these fucking tiny little boxes of intense anger, intense happiness, intense sadness. I want to know how it feels to feel that full range of my intellect and emotion rather than to feel controlled by these polarizing feelings. You deserve that too. Don't you want that? Don't you just want to say enough is enough? Splitting behavior can also impact whether or not therapy is effective for us. And so when we're talking about how it affects our relationships, it also affects our therapeutic relationships. And a huge part of why mental health professionals find those with BPD difficult to treat, and you hear all these stigmas about how maybe therapists will refuse to treat people with BPD, it's because quite often our therapists can become the victim of our splitting. It can become really easy to see our therapists as either for us or against us. And one session, we can see them as amazingly effective in helping us achieve breakthroughs. And if that session is followed by a particularly tough one, we can immediately see that therapist as useless or incompetent. And a therapeutic relationship requires trust. And splitting makes this trust 
really difficult to establish for us and for our therapist. This naturally moves us into the next segment that I wanted to cover, which was how can splitting affect therapy and medical treatment of BPD? I think that it's key that when you're searching for a therapist, you find one that specializes in BPD, if at all possible, if you're going to go the route of therapy. Because if you get the wrong therapist or one who has really stigmatized views of the disorder, you could end up doing yourself more harm than good. You could start believing that therapy doesn't work and develop a splitting view of all mental health professionals, right? That all psychiatrists are bad, all therapists are bad. And that's just not the case. There are professionals out there who have a deep understanding of the disorder. So as I said, it's my belief that you should be looking for someone who has vast experience with BPD patients and someone who believes there's a good prognosis for the disorder and potentially even specializes in something like DBT, the dialectical behavioral therapy. I've had experiences with both psychiatrists and therapists who were clearly misinformed about BPD, bought into the stigma, and it negatively impacted my recovery journey. Never forget this. You are your own best advocate. You are. Remember to interview a potential therapist and listen to how they speak about BPD in general. And go with your gut if something doesn't feel right. I interviewed three or four therapists before I settled on the one that I'm working with. It's also important to mention that therapy can't work unless you're committed to dedicating your life to managing your BPD and recovering. I don't just show up to therapy for an hour a week. I show up every hour of every single day of my life. I do it for me. I refuse to accept a future in which BPD continues to control my life. You will be so surprised what you're capable of when you have this mindset. And you will. You will. You will. I promise you will. You just have to stick with me, stick with your research, stick with the commitment to yourself. It will come. Be patient. Okay, okay, okay. We get it, right? Splitting fuck stuff up. It makes our life a living hell. Like so many things with BPD, it's one thing to be aware of how bad something is for us when we're emotionally regulated, but when we're dysregulated, that rational thought is out the window. So how do we stop splitting? Now is the time that we're going to discuss how to reduce splitting behaviors. First and foremost, compassion, compassion for yourself, compassion for others. Something that helps me when I feel myself splitting is imagining how I would talk to a two-year-old through a similar situation. It helps even more if I imagine myself as that kid and my caring mother figure is speaking to that two-year-old self if that makes sense. So a friend ignoring my call may make little two-year-old Molly feel abandoned. In that moment, when I start feeling those feelings come up, I think, what would a caring mother figure say to little Molly? She would say, maybe it's okay that you feel upset. Your friend is probably really busy. She loves you. 
She probably has something going on right now where she can't get to the phone. That is actually a really caring act on your friend's part. She wants to make sure that when she speaks to you, she can focus on your time together. I'm sure she'll get back to you when she has the time. This might sound silly right off the cuff, but these little dialogues with your inner child during moments of extreme dysregulation have been a game changer for me. And I think they could be a game changer for you if you just give it a try. What you're doing right now isn't working. That's probably why you're listening to this episode. So why not try something else? Another thing that's changed my life is just saying, yes, I'm going to try something new. Try it. That same caring mother figure that I described might also ask why else little two-year-old Molly may be feeling emotionally reactive. This is what a mom would do, right? So we're being a mother to ourselves. In that moment of feeling like someone didn't answer my text or answer my call, this mother figure might ask my inner child, little Molly, is she hungry? Could she do a five-minute meditation? Has it been four hours since she's had any water? Because damn, I do that all the time. I sit there and I'm working and I'm spinning out and I haven't eaten or drank anything for four or five hours. That can cause your emotions to go all over the place and we forget about these little things. This mother figure might say, when is the last time she Molly did something fun for herself? This mother figure strategy has really helped me develop more compassion for myself and compassion for others in the moment and realize that quite often I'm ignoring my own emotional and physical needs when I get to the point of splitting. This type of visualization really helps ground me in what's happening around me in any given moment and helps distract me from the extreme feelings and put in better perspective what's happening. And if I'm extremely upset, I'll take long, deep breaths and name one thing I can smell, one thing I can taste, one thing I can touch, one thing I can hear, and one thing I can see in that moment. This particular exercise is super helpful if you are really dysregulated. If you're past the, the ability to imagine some mother figure you need, and you are freaking the hell out, Try the method of naming one thing you can smell, taste, touch, hear, and see in that moment. Stop all things and literally do that because that is trauma 101. You bring your higher self back online. You are no longer dissociating. You're not outside of your body. That exercise helps bring you back into your body, back into reality, and calm yourself in that moment. So give it a try. Give it a try imagining a mother figure and how she would talk you through that. How would you talk through your two-year-old little self through that moment? You wouldn't be rude. You wouldn't be the, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing this again. Would that help a two-year-old when they are spinning the hell out? No, it wouldn't. So take that approach, remother yourself, reparent yourself in those moments, become your mother figure. And what would a kind mother figure say to someone who's starting to split? And if you are too far gone and you're dissociating, try naming the things you can taste, touch, hear, and see. Let's cover now what the best way for loved ones of people with BPD to help us when we're experiencing splitting. 
our friends, partners, families, loved ones, they can feel pretty helpless when we're in the middle of a splitting episode, really confused. And if you have friends and people in your life like me, they do want to help us, but sometimes they just, they don't know how. I've found that the best way any of our loved ones can help us is by learning more about the reality. And I underscore reality with like 10 lines underneath it of living with BPD. Sharing podcast episodes, articles, and books with my partner, with my boyfriend, Zaz, have changed the game for our relationship. These things will often trigger a discussion for us when I'm in an emotionally regulated state. It's really important to, to note that part, right? The, we listen to these podcast episodes, articles, books, these things I share with him. I do it when I'm regulated. Oftentimes, hearing it from another source, another person, another podcast host, for example, can really help the people that love us develop more empathy and understanding towards our struggle with BPD. They're not just hearing it from us in a really dysregulated state in the same way that we've described it 10,000 times that just doesn't seem to be sinking in for them. A good first step, if it feels safe for you, is to share this episode with someone you love and have them start at the beginning, have them start at um, splitting 101. And once they've listened, try having a conversation about it with them when you're in an emotionally regulated state. Make a plan together about how you'll handle things the next time you notice yourself splitting or if they notice it first. It's really important that you make a game plan when you're both regulated, because this way, the next time you split, there's a higher likelihood that this deeper awareness on both of your part will make some type of positive impact during the next splitting episode that will arise. It will inevitably happen. The key here is to have patience with ourselves, with our partners, with our families. Don't expect that after one conversation with your partner, you'll smoothly navigate any future splitting episodes. That will set yourself up for failure if you're expecting perfection from yourself and your partners and your family. It's still going to suck. You both may temporarily forget the game plan and shit will hit the fan occasionally. I'll sometimes be halfway through losing my shit with Zaz, fully crying, fully split mode, but a spark of awareness will hit and I'll realize in the middle of it that I'm splitting and immediately I can stop and say, I'm sorry, I'm really emotionally dysregulated right now and it's hard for me to see things clearly. Can we stop this conversation, give each other a hug and start again in 15 minutes? An old me the me before recovery would have seen that as a complete failure. I would say to myself, it doesn't matter that I caught myself mid-split. I still split. I still lost my shit with Zaz. Not only was the situation a failure, I'm a failure. And I don't see it that way anymore. I choose to have more patience with myself. Now I would offer grace and compassion for myself that I was able to stop before things escalated to self-soothe and emotionally regulate. And I would be proud of myself for taking care of my own needs and emotions and also protecting Zaz from things getting more out of control. So I ask you to do the same for yourself. 
become aware, inform yourself, then inform the people you love, make a game plan, stay mindful. And when you need to action the game plan and offer compassion for yourself, if you aren't 100% successful the first, second, third time, remember this isn't black and white. Don't split your own recovery. Don't split on your own game plan. Don't expect perfection. You can't expect immediate and perfect results ever. This process takes an equal combination of persistence and patience. It is hard. Don't give up. That about covers it for this three-part series on splitting. Now, with this new knowledge and awareness, I hope you can begin to take a deeper look at how splitting has affected and is still affecting your life. It can be hard to bring our opposing views together, especially when we've been reacting on autopilot for our whole damn lives. I thought I was just a reactive human being until I took the time to learn and educate myself. I am not my reactivity. You are not your reactivity. Healing trauma splits is possible. It just takes time, consistent effort and practice and awareness and education. I want to open up a dialogue on this. So send me a DM on Instagram at back from the borderline pod about how splitting has impacted your life. I want to hear you share with me any strategies or insights you may have that I could share on future episodes because I do not have all the answers, but I want to use this podcast as a way to open up the lines of communication and spread that awareness. So by now, you already know, I've said it a million times that I'm reading a book called Untamed by Glennon Doyle, and I'm going to leave you with a passage, another passage from the book that felt extremely fitting to finish this series on splitting. So in this part of the book, Glennon is watching some TV series about a professional survivalist, (laughs) survival guy, (laughs) I don't know. Either way, according to this guy, finding and identifying what he calls a touch tree is essential to survival if someone becomes lost in the wilderness, right? Because when you're lost, you need to be able to have a home base and then go out and collect supplies. But how are you supposed to not get lost when you're collecting supplies? So this guy recommends that you find a touch tree and it's something that it's a familiar tree in, in this lost wilderness space that you're in that you can keep on going back to bring your supplies back to. So Glennon then goes on to write the most stunningly beautiful passage. So here it is. He says the most effective strategy that a lost person can use to increase her likelihood of getting found and thriving is this. She must find herself a touch tree. A touch tree is one recognizable, strong, large tree that becomes the lost one's home base. She can adventure out into the woods as long as she always returns to her touch tree again and again. This perpetual returning will keep her from getting too far gone. I've spent much of my life lost in the woods of pain, relationships, religion, career, service, success, and failure. Looking back on those times, I can trace my lostness back to a decision to make something outside of myself my touch tree, an identity, a set of beliefs, an institution, aspirational ideals, a job, another person, a list of rules 
approval, an old version of myself. Now, when I feel lost, I remember that I am not the woods. I am my own tree. So I return to myself and re-inhabit myself. As I do, I feel my chin rise and my body straighten. I reach deeply into the rich soil beneath me, made up of every girl and woman I've ever been, every face I've ever loved, every love I've lost, every place I've been, every conversation I've had, every book I've read and song I've sung, everything, everything, crumbling and mixing and decomposing underneath. Nothing wasted. My entire past there, holding me up and feeding me now. All of this too low for anyone else to see just there for me to draw from. Then up and up all the way to my branches, my imagination too high for anyone else to see. Reaching beyond, growing towards the light and the warmth. Then the middle, the trunk, the only part of me entirely visible to the world. Pulpy and soft inside, just tough enough on the outside to protect and hold me exposed and safe. I am as ancient as the earth I'm planted in and as new as my tiniest bloom. I am my own touch tree, strong, singular, alive, still growing. I have everything I need beneath me, above me, inside me. I am never gonna lose me. So I will leave you with that, my friends, my tribe. You are not alone. You are your own touch tree. You are never, ever, ever gonna lose you. All right, you messy, amazing, emotional, fabulous human beings doing this life thing. That is it for today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening because out of all the millions, billions of podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine. And that means a lot to me. And if you listen this far, I know you never want to miss a new episode. So to make sure that doesn't happen, click follow in your podcast player of choice and you will be alerted every time I drop a new one. To help me grow and help the podcast reach as many people as possible, go ahead and leave an honest rating and review. Not only that, I love to hear your feedback, so please share it with me. I read every single review, and you just might hear it read out loud on the podcast. To connect with me directly, follow me on social media and keep up with all the new updates. You can find that all at backfromtheborderline.com. And as always, any articles, resources, or other helpful information you've heard today can be found in the description of this podcast episode. So don't forget to check out the show notes. And until we meet again, remember, life is a circle, a cycle, a process, separation, initiation, return. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.